0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. What great songs that basically are singing what we see in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we come to our last sermon in the book of Hebrews. We are going to look at Hebrews chapter 13, only verses 22 through 25, and really just one of those verses. I'll read it to you, Hebrews 13. 22 through 25, he concludes his letter saying, But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of encouragement, for I have written to you briefly. And some of you are going, maybe not so brief. It's taken since August to get through it. But take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. I want to focus today on verse... 22, he says in verse 22, he, he, I said, he says, I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation. And that word urge, I urge you, could also be translated, I exhort you. So he refers to his letter of 13 chapters as one word of exhortation. It's like he says, listen, everything I've said, I've got this one word of exhortation and I exhort you to bear with this one word of exhortation. And so it's, it's a very passionate plea at the end of the letter to bear with this word of exhortation. And so first of all, I want to say, well, what does this bear with mean and what is this word of exhortation? The bear with, we we use this in our own language and it's used in a similar way. Like if if I'm teaching through something that's a little more technical and I'm worried I'm going to lose you, you'll hear me say sometimes, now bear with me here. Bear with me, I don't want to lose you. It's going to take a little patience. You're going to have to tolerate me for a little while to to hear the message. It's the same idea of this word. He's saying bear with this word of exhortation. Be patient, listen carefully carefully. Heed the message of this exhortation, though it may take some patience, it may be a little bit difficult to hear, but he's saying, receive the message. Another way of thinking of it is, have faith in this exhortation. Have faith, believe it, receive it. In other words, he's written this letter of all these chapters and verses, and he wraps it up saying, Are you taking hold of this message? Are you receiving it into your heart? Is it making a difference in your life? He doesn't want We didn't study. I'm saying to you, we didn't study the book of Hebrews just to be smarter people. We didn't study to walk out of here and go, hey, you know what Hebrews is? No, well, I do. I'm better than you. That's not what's going on here. We do teach the Bible and we explain it because we believe that it is the way we are transformed. God's Word making sense in our minds and hearts, the Spirit of God takes that and breaks our heart down and brings about transformation. And so he's saying, I exhort you, receive this word of exhortation, have faith. In in chapter 4 of Hebrews, he said, look, we had the gospel preached to us just like they did, but it does us no good if we do not unite it with faith. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you can have all this head knowledge of the word of God, you can tell me every little detail about how the book of Hebrews plays out, but if you don't unite it with faith in your heart, it does you no good. He's saying, so heed the message. Now, what's the message? What's this one word of exhortation that he, he calls it? He calls everything he's been saying in the book of Hebrews, heed this word of exhortation. So I wrestled with it, and I thought, okay, what is the one way to summarize the book of Hebrews? What is the word of exhortation that he has given us? And I think I've found the, the way I want to summarize it today We've been challenging with the title slide Drawing Near, Drawing Near, Draw Near to God, Draw Near to God through Christ. But what does it take for you to draw near? What does it take for you to do anything that you see the writer of Hebrews saying that you should do? It takes faith, but more particularly, it takes faith that he who promised is faithful. I get this from Hebrews 10, verse 23, which is a very transitional, it's a key verse in the book. He works up to this verse with one thought and then he transitions at this verse to the rest of the book. And here's what he says in ten twenty three: Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is is faithful. That's the one word of exhortation that the writer of Hebrews, if I had to summarize it, he's saying, listen to me. Bear with this message. Heed this message. Receive this message. Unite this message with faith. Act upon this message. Let it change your life. Why? Because he who promised everything that I have revealed in my scriptures is faithful. So we're going to look at two applications. When you get it, When you believe he who's promised is faithful, you will be saved by faith, and you will live by faith. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at all chapters in the book of Hebrews, 13 chapters. Buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. So, first 10 chapters, be saved by faith, for he who promised is faithful. In these verses, the author reveals all these unseen realities. Remember, he said faith is conviction of the unseen realities. Faith is assurance of the things hoped for that God has promised and that God has revealed this whole new paradigm, this whole new worldview that your mind starts to get as you read the scriptures. Faith is taking that to the bank and no one you can count on it. And so he's been revealing these unseen realities in chapter 1 he reveals some amazing claims about jesus he says in hebrews 1 1 through 4 god after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways and all these different ways he spoke but in verse 2 in these last days he has spoken to us in his son jesus is god's son Whom he appointed heir of all things. Everything that God has, he gave to Jesus. And through Jesus, he also made everything. And he is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Those are amazing claims that have been revealed that we would have no clue had God not revealed them to us. He is saying... God spoke in all sorts of ways, but everything he said in history and in the word of God pointed to, culminated in the pinnacle of his word to us, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ who is God himself, who is the exact representation of God. He's the reflection of God. He's the essence of God. He is God. If you want to know God, the creator of the universe and everything, you've got to go know Jesus because that's our access to God. Do you believe that? Do you think there's some other way to know the creator of the universe other than him coming down, condescending down to our level to make himself known? This is not a religion of aspiring or climbing some ladder to come to know him. He came down to make himself known. Jesus is God in flesh. And what he did was he made purification of sins he who promised is faithful in chapter 2 we see one of the great benefits therefore in 2 14 and 15 therefore since the children share in the flesh and blood remember chapter 1 strange talks about angels what in the world is he talking about he's talking about angels and he says but let's be clear jesus didn't come to save angels he came to save people humans who are in flesh and blood. Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same flesh and blood. God took on flesh and blood that through death, his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. God said, I'm going to save flesh and blood from death that they deserve for their sin. How's he going to do that? He's going to take on flesh and blood himself, God in flesh. And he says, if you trust in Jesus, you never die. It's just a transition to your eternal existence, another unseen reality revealed only in the scriptures. I'm going to tell you, if you believe he is faithful who promised that, that radically changes your life. I was called in a a week or two ago to visit uh, someone who's in their final days of cancer, and I walked in the room, and you never know what you're going to face. I don't know. I mean, I was told this person's a believer, but I've been told that before, and go, ah, this is not very encouraging. Not this case, not this time. I walked in and I said, How are you doing? You have any questions spiritually? You have any concerns? She says, Nope. Praise the Lord. The Lord is faithful. He has always been faithful. He is so good to me. He's been so good to me. I have no doubt the Lord will t- be faithful to everything He's promised. And I'm like, Let's have a worship service right here. That's what I'm talking about. I pray I die with that faith. Praise the Lord. That's the difference. When you know he who promised is faithful, it changes your life. And it gives you freedom from death. You don't have to be afraid of death. If you know the one who promises to have, give you victory over death, you know he who is faithful. He who's promised is faithful, then death is simply a transition to an awesome existence. In chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, he actually says that if you understand who he is and you put trust in his son, he makes you sons of God, members of his household. 3, 5 through 6. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things that were to be spoken later. Everything Moses did as a servant pointed to Jesus. But Christ, Jesus, was faithful as a son over his house whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence, i.e. faith, and the boast of our hope in Jesus if we hold it firm to the end. If you believe he who promised to make you a son of God through faith in his son, then you can know that you will live forever in the household of God. In verse 4, we see that we can have confidence Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Don't let go of your faith. He who promised is faithful, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Yet he did it without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of God so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Do you have confidence that he is faithful to do what he said? Do you have confidence to draw near to the throne of God when you're tempted, when you've failed, when you feel guilty, when you are struggling? Do you run away from God or do you have confidence to draw near to God and know that you're going to find mercy and grace? Why would you find mercy and grace? We've seen he's a consuming fire. He's holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin without pouring his wrath out. How in the world can you and I have confidence to draw near to the throne of God? Because he's poured his wrath out on his son Jesus. He is faithful. He who's promised is faithful. You can draw near to the throne and know when you have needs, you will find mercy and grace but if you doubt you're not going to draw near you're not going to draw near to God you have to believe you have to bear with these words you have to take them into your heart You've got to ask God, give me faith. Give me conviction of the realities of these truth claims. God, give me faith which comes through the hearing of the word of God. Give me confidence and assurance that transcends my my lying emotions that I may believe that you who promised me is faithful. (coughs) And it changes the way we live. He makes us his children. He gives us grace and mercy In chapters 5 through 7, he starts to explain, and he uses the old covenant... System that God gave Israel and it was so helpful because it's like a great object lesson talking about these abstract theological themes and it's like having a little model and a little a kit that you can set out and build it and touch it and I could sit there and say you see it's like God's in here and it's just been so helpful and so he explains using the old covenant system and remember the Bible presents God as an all-consuming holy fire who descended on Mount Sinai and Israel realizes i'm sinful he's holy i am not going near that fire and god is gracious and he says i want you near me and so he gives them instructions on the tabernacle the priest the sacrificial system and the offerings and all of that was so that they could enjoy the presence of god so that they could draw near to his holiness despite their sin and so he gave them priests Aaron was the high priest. His sons were the priesthood. And there's the descendants of Aaron were always the priesthood line. They were to take offerings. They slaughtered a lamb in the morning, a lamb at night. Every single day they slaughtered a lamb. Bloody sacrifice morning and night to cover the sins of the people. And then once a year, the high priest would sacrifice an animal for his own sin before he entered into the most holy place that he alone was allowed to go. And he would sacrifice a sin offering to cover the sins of the people. But we see in the very act itself the insufficiency of the sacrifice. For it was repeated morning, night, monthly, Passovers, celebrations, feasts, once a year, every year. The sacrifice was repeated over and over and over. But the scriptures tell us all of that was a tremendous blessing because it allowed them to have a measure of enjoyment of the holiness and the glory and the beauty of God in their midst and it protected them, and it kept them until the day when Jesus would come. And as we saw in chapter 1, he's the final revelation God. He's the perfect revelation God. He's the finished product. Everything God had spoken in many various ways and throughout the Scriptures, it all culminates and points to faith in Jesus. And in chapters 5 through 7, he explains in light of that object lesson Jesus he says in 7:23 through 28 those former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing they were human they died so you had to have a bunch of them but Jesus on the other hand because he is God and continues forever he holds his priesthood permanently eternally he's the forever priest We only need one. He doesn't die. He lived forever. Therefore, he is able to save forever. The priest who lives forever forever is able to save forever. Those who what? Draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them constantly eternally my blood covers him my blood covers her my blood covers that my blood covers that for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest he was holy they were not he was innocent the other priests were not he was undefiled they were they were not separated from sinners exalted above the heavens Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices? He didn't have to sacrifice over and over and over. First of all, he didn't have to for his own sins because he was sinless, holy, perfect, separated, and righteous because he's God in flesh. And then he also didn't have to sacrifice over and over for our sins, the sin of the people. Why? Because he died. He did it once and for all. He offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the law appointed men as high priests who were weak, But the word of the oath, the word of God, God himself, which came after the law, he appointed son. He appointed his own son, made perfect forever. That's the gospel. He who promised to cleanse you through his son, Jesus Christ, is faithful to cleanse you. Are you mixing anything else into the formula? You're not saved by Jesus and your attendance here today. You're not saved by Jesus and what you put in the offering plate. You're not saved by Jesus and what you avoided this weekend. You're not saved by Jesus plus what you did really good this year. You're not saved by Jesus and being better than most. You're not saved by Jesus plus being better than you were last year. Scripture says you are you are saved only when you believe what God has said about Jesus. And God has promised to make you righteous by the blood of his son the eternal infinitely holy son of God who took on flesh and sacrificed himself at the altar of God at the cross. And rose again, proving he is the eternal priest who can intercede on my behalf and on your behalf eternally, day after day, sin after sin, year after year. You aren't getting right with God in the past and then making yourself right with God every day going forward. Jesus alone makes us right with God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. That's the message of Hebrews. He who promised is faithful. We're not saved by putting faith in our own faith. We're not saved in putting our faith in some knowledge of a gospel message. We are saved by putting our faith in God who is faithful to save through his own sacrifice on the cross for your sins. He's the eternal priest who is able to save eternally because he intercedes eternally for your sins. In chapter 8, we learn Jesus had a better ministry than the ministry of the old covenant priests in 8, 1 through 3. Now, the main point is this. I like those, don't you? He's been saying a lot of stuff. Now, here's the main point. All right, good. I can get this. Now, the main point is this. Of what has been said, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, The tabernacle we read about in the Old Covenant was just a shadow... ...pointing us to the real, true, eternal tabernacle of God... ...which the Lord pitched, not man. And in verse 6 and 7, we see... ...but he has now obtained a more excellent ministry. His ministry is more excellent than the ministry of the priests on earth... ...by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Their covenant was good, it was a blessing... ...but this is a better covenant and acted on better promises. For the first covenant had been faultless, we wouldn't have needed the second covenant. So he's saying, listen, Jesus is the better priest. He offered the better sacrifice. He was a mediator of a better covenant, and acted on better promises, because his is the better blood. Everything's better. It's all about Jesus. Put your faith in what Jesus does for you, not what you do for Jesus. Chapter 9, he explains, this better covenant is the new covenant, 9, 11 through 15, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and bulls, but through his own blood. His own infinitely holy, perfect blood. The blood of God. That's how he entered into the holy place once. Once and for all. All the sins of the past, all the sins today, all the sins of the future are covered by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, his own blood. It it obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkling those who had been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of God in flesh? That's Christ. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God? God offered offered God's blood to God for us in order to cleanse our conscience from dead works. Stop doing dumb things to save yourself. That's what dead works is. They don't do anything to bring life. They're dead. We're dead in our sins until God took on flesh and gave God's blood to bring life out of death. And says... You're cleansed from your dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, everything that sin that had piled up, piled up, piled up for all the ages, when Jesus came, he dealt with them all on the cross. And every sin that's piled up, piled up since the cross has been dealt with on the cross. Those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. God promises you, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will receive the eternal inheritance. And he who promises is faithful. You can take it to the bank. In chapter 10, he wraps up his explanation about Jesus saying he's the better sacrifice. In 1010, he says, By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you believe that? Do you believe all these promises, all these unseen realities that have been revealed to us during the study of Hebrews, do you believe that God is faithful, that he who promised is faithful? That's the only way you will draw near to God who your gut tells you is a consuming fire. If you doubt that God is a consuming fire, you don't want to be near him. If you you know God is a consuming fire, you want to be near him, but you're scared to go near him. The only way out is to know that God's fire is satisfied in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's when we will draw near to such a God. And he promises, when you do, If you're drawing near, covered in the blood of Christ, you'll find mercy, you'll find grace, you'll find love, you'll find compassion, you'll find cleansing, you'll find help, you'll find a priest who knows what you're going through. You know, a lot of people tell me, and I'm like, well, I I really didn't do anything great other than the fact that it took me about 10 years to figure out what in the world I was going to do in my life, but... For 10 years, I was in the business world and people tell me, I I appreciate the fact that you've been in the real world. You know what it's like to be stressed out. You know what it's like, church people don't have that, you know, pastors don't have that. (laughs) But in the real world, you know what it's like to be stressed out. You know what it's like to have had the big deal and you know what it's like to to know what it's like for a boss to to do you wrong or employ. You've been there. I appreciate that. And I'm like, well, you're welcome. That's why I did that for 10 years. I wandered aimlessly and not knowing what I was supposed to do in life. But there's value in feeling like, okay, you've been there. We have a high priest who's been there. This is not a God who's out there, this nebulous concept in the clouds. God took on flesh and blood, and he hurt And he knew what it was like to say, I I don't want to go there. I don't want to pay the price. I don't want to experience that pain. But he knew he who promised is faithful. And for the joy set before him, he drew near. And he endured the suffering for our sin, to pay the price for our sin. And that's what you find at the throne of grace. Grace. When you draw near, you find grace and mercy and help and love, compassion, in the perfect sense of all those words. So if we know he who promised is faithful, then we can be saved by faith in the faithful one. If we have been saved by faith, he pivots in chapter 10 to you've got to live by faith. You see, faith and salvation and the Christian life is not what I thought for many, many years. Uh, this, At least this is what I practice. I kind of practice faith that, like the gospel that all we just said. Let's just call that the good news, which is what the gospel word means. So, so the gospel is this credit card that someone, when they're young, if they... It's for sinners, it's for unbelievers. The gospel's for unbelievers and they believe it and they get saved and then they go live with all their might and be good for Jesus. And that's, that's hard, that's, there's, that's, pretty, that's, that's very depressing because every day's a failure. And there's a lot of legalism and then church is duty and it's, 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 just, it's not much fun. But you know you feel guilty, you're supposed to go and do it. It's like, oh, this is awesome, isn't it? What a great faith. Woohoo. But we're all acting like we're, you know, I, I, where is the person who told us the to fake for your face? We're all on the four are going, that's good. I love Jesus. You love Jesus. All, all right, right, we're happy. This is a radically different message. This is the blood of Christ cleanses you eternally. And when you mess up and wicked it is, you're in the same place. The same gospel. He who promised to cleanse you is faithful. He who is the eternal priest is standing there. He's looking at me and he's saying, I got that. That's why I died. That's why I went through so much pain is for that right there. And if I understand that he who is promised to cleanse me based on his intercession, I say, Praise the Lord. And I come here and I sing, Praise the Lord for the blood of Jesus. And then this is worship. And it's joyful. And it's thankful. And it's not me condemning you and you condemning me, it's all of us saying, Praise God for being faithful to cleanse me with all my unrighteousness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Now that's worth it. That's good news. That's the difference. Those who are saved by faith then live by faith. And he details that out, living by faith. First of all, we see in chapter 10 as, as he pivots, remember he said... Uh, Chapter 21, he continues on 1021, he continues right to 1023. Let us hold fast then the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, if you've been saved and your hope is solely in the blood of Jesus Christ, he is your anchor, he is everything, you're putting your faith in him. Well, then let us hold fast to that. Don't let go of that. Don't waver from that. For he who promised is faithful. And then listen to what it does and then let us consider how to stimulate one another. How to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Not forsaking the assembling together as some do, but encouraging one another. Pushing each other on. He's faithful. He's promised. He's, you can count on him. And all the more as you see that future day drawing near. You see the difference. That's what this is. This is not piety. This is not me acting like I got it together and you acting like you got it together. This is not us performing something to earn something with God. This is a bunch of wicked people saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And this is what you do when you get it. You praise God. But he he likens the Christian life to an endurance race. A long race. Endurance race filled with ups and downs. It has a starting point. It has a finish line. And it is best run in a pack with runners. It has its full reward only after the finish line to successfully run the race. We must run each day with assurance and with conviction that he who promised is faithful. In Hebrews 10, 35 through 39, the author says, so don't throw away your confidence that he's faithful. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Notice the future at the finish line. There's a great reward for you have need. Don't throw away your confidence. There's a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And he who promised is faithful. He's promised a great reward. The only way you're going to get to the finish line and receive that great reward is if you believe he who promised is faithful. And those promises of the future reward become the anchor of our soul that give us endurance, as we persevere through trials and tribulations and ups and downs, victories and failures. Each day of this endurance race, we must choose. With our wills, we must choose not to listen to the lies of our emotions and the lies of Satan. We choose with our wills to remain confident, not in ourselves, not in our own faith, but confident that he who promised is faithful. And each day we remain confident that he is faithfully interceding on our behalf. He is standing there pleading his own blood over our own sin, on our daily struggles, our daily failures, and he is faithful to bring the unshakable kingdom that he has promised does that future promise of reward and unshakable kingdom anchor your soul that's probably been the biggest lesson i've learned in hebrews is i haven't had that anchor in my soul but it's real And the only way to endure the current suffering and challenges is to be convinced of those unseen realities that there's a future, unshakable kingdom, that is going to be ours, and he who promised it is faithful. In chapter 11, the author provides men and women as examples, as testimonies of people who understood this. They were ordinary, messed up, jacked up people just like us. They weren't super ordinary people. They were ordinary people who had faith in an extraordinary God. And that is what made the difference. They had trials and tribulations, and they endured all of that by faith. Hebrews 11.39 says, All of these, having gained approval, how? Through their faith, Faith that he who promised is faithful. They did not receive what was promised. They never knew the name of Jesus. But they knew he who promised to send a Messiah will do it. And so they endured great things believing that. And we saw them at the end of their life quoting the Abrahamic promises. Bless God, he is faithful. At the end of their life, they crossed the finish line. And they never even saw Jesus. They never even knew his name. In chapter 12, we realize we're in a similar position today. We must live each day confident that God who promised is faithful. We live each day confident Jesus continually intercedes on behalf of our sin. We remain each day confident that God promised to re- bring back an unshakable kingdom, and that's the anchor of our soul. Look at verse 28 of chapter 12, 12, 28, and 29. Therefore, since we, have, since we receive an unshakable kingdom, let us show gratitude. By which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and all for our God is a consuming fire. The attitude of gratitude. Those who understand God is a fire. I am wicked. I deserve to be torched. He torched his son on my behalf and then promises to give me an unshakable kingdom. How can I have anything but gratitude? And then in gratitude... I then become a priest. And I offer my own life on the altar of God. I pour myself out as a drink offering. I'm a whole burnt offering. And the smoke of the offering rises as a blessed aroma to the nostrils of God. That's how we worship Him. This is your equipping. This is worship, but it's a worship that is equipping you to go out and pour your life out as a drink offering. To lay your life down on the altar of God as a, as a burn offering. J.D. Greer in a book I was reading this week says, The only problem with living sacrifices, which Paul calls us the living sacrifice where we lay ourselves on the altar, the only problem with living sacrifices is we keep, because we're alive, we keep trying to crawl off the altar. We've got to tie ourselves down on the altar and give ourselves away. The only way we'll do that is if we've got the gratitude of the gospel. And so he says, you've been given an unshakable kingdom. It's across the finish line. He's promised it, and he who's promised is faithful. Let that gratitude move you. To offer your life as a sacrifice for others. Hebrews thirteen, fourteen, and 16. For here, we do not have a lasting city. This is not it. Every day we've got to fight that. This is not all there is. This is nothing compared to eternity. So we don't have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Can you see that city? Anyone sees it, let me know. Because that's helpful. This is how we see it. He reveals it through the scriptures to us. The unseen. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Praise God for Jesus. Is that what's on your lips? The gospel of Jesus and the praise that accompanies it. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. That's the exhortation. He who promised is faithful. He's faithful to cleanse us wicked sinners by his own blood on the cross to intercede for us every single day and to usher in for us an unshakable kingdom. And with gratitude, we draw near to each other and we spur each other on and we remind each other of these unseen realities and we encourage each other to give our lives as living sacrifices on the altar of God, burning ourselves up and it is tiring. And you will burn out and you will burn down. And that is your calling. And God says, I'm faithful. Hang in there. There's a great unshakable kingdom coming. Father God, we pray that we will heed this message. Father God, I pray that we will grasp the truths of the gospel this morning. Holy Spirit, move powerfully in hearts right now, please. Remove any barriers that people are putting up to your gospel. Lord, Lord you promise to save those who trust solely in the blood of Jesus Christ. May people all over this room today trust solely in the blood of Jesus Christ for the first time. And Lord, you promised that Jesus is the great high priest who was eternal, of an eternal priesthood. The order of Melchizedek, he lived and lives forever so he can save forever because he can intercede on our behalf forever. And so may those of us who are resting and trusting only in Jesus, may we know that every day that we fail, we can still draw near to God because Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Praise God. And God, you're the one that promised this unshakable kingdom. We don't deserve it, but we know from your scriptures that it is a picture of perfection that where we are as we were meant to be apart from the effects of sin on our bodies, that this earth, this beautiful, wonderful creation with trees and grass and lakes and oceans, Lord, that it will all be perfect, like the perfect day at the lake. And that work will be so glorious and rewarding and so purposeful and accomplish such such great things to your glory. The earth and the heavens are yours and you will reign on earth with us. You are the greatest gift of the unshakable kingdom. Your presence, your perfections, your glory, your majesty, your love without hindrance. Lord God, what a beautiful picture. Lord, help us to know that you've promised it and he who promised is faithful. Death is not the end for believers, it's a transition to glory. Lord, may that reality anchor our soul and free us from holding on to our life with all of our might, free us to lay our life down with the posture of full surrender and sacrifice, pour ourselves out for others, give ourselves away to be generous, to be gracious, to be forgiving, to be loving, to be kind to do good deeds, all in the name of Jesus who did it all for us first. Lord, you are faithful. And we praise your name this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.